to talk about what do we mean by saved and born again? Those churchy words that you hear Christians use all the time. Now, for those of you that are saved and born again, those of you that have been Christians for a while, you might be thinking, well, this is not for me. Yes, it is. I pray that God will give you a fresh understanding of your salvation. I also pray that the Lord will give you some understanding of maybe how to share your faith with somebody who wants to know. Maybe somebody will ask you this week, I've heard you talking about being saved. What does that mean? Boy, won't it come in handy that you just heard this message? Okay, okay, thank you, brother, thank you. All right, it will for that one man. <laughs> thank you, Chuck. <laughs> no, you, you understand what I'm saying. So even if, even if you've been a Christian longer than I've been alive, I pray that God will use this to bless you this morning. But please hear me. If you're here this morning and you've been confused about this, and I'm not talking down to you. I'm, I'm honored that you're here. <laughs> you know, I'm honored that you would come to Hickory Hammock Baptist Church and say, Lord, speak to me. Well, I pray God does. And so if you're here this morning and you've, you've, you've wondered, what does it mean when people talk about being saved? What does it mean when people talk about being born again? All that churchy stuff. I don't care about all that. I just want to know if I'm right with God. Okay? So this morning you're going to get the answers to those questions. You're going to find out what it means to be saved and born again. You're going to find out that those words are not just churchy words. They're Bible words. And they have very important meaning. So I pray that God will use this for everyone. Next week my message will be, why is it that being, just being a good person won't get you to heaven? Now, that's an important... People are asking that. People talk about that all the time. Well, I'll just be... I'm as good as that preacher at Hickory Hammock, so if he's going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. Well, you might be better than that preacher at Hickory Hammock, depending upon your definition of better and good. But what determines whether we go to heaven or not is a whole different thing. We'll talk about that next week. Why is it like that? Why, why would God do it that way? We'll, I, I can't remember the order of the messages, but we'll talk about the meaning and purpose of life. We'll talk about how to know God's will. I'll have a whole message on that. There are people in here getting ready to make big decisions. Some of you are making big decisions. And, and you know, if you know the Lord or love the Lord or have any thoughts about God at all, you certainly want to be in God's will, do you not, with your life, especially in the big decisions of life. But how do you know if it's God's will? I mean, do you roll some dice? Do you lick your finger? And if the wind blows on it, then it, I mean, how do you know God's will? We'll have a message on that as well. Okay, so does this series seem to interest you a little bit over the next few weeks? I pray so. I pray you'll find it useful. Also, if you've got somebody, a friend or a family member who's been asking these kinds of questions and, you know, they didn't really want to come jump in the middle of a revelation study, <laughs> but, but perhaps they wanted to know just stuff like this then please tell them what's going to be happening. Also, Brother John, if you could go ahead and begin releasing now CDs. We see over the last several weeks, I asked him just not to burn copies of the Revelation messages for people. And that wasn't to be ugly to you. It was to save him a lot of work because a lot of people wanted them. It's just a whole lot easier to take them, to edit them down, to make them very professional, and then to package them and make them available to everybody rather than having him do all of that and then redoing all of that and then reburning. And so, but from this point forward, brother, go ahead and if people want copies of our messages, uh, you go ahead and burn the copies and give them to them, okay? So you can start asking for them again, start signing up out in the foyer, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Are y'all ready for this message this morning now? <laughs> Finally, we get to preach the Word. Okay. A lot of important stuff. Okay. So, so what do we mean by saved? And, and I'm going to use Acts 16 this morning to kind of launch into that. And born again. And I'm going to use John 3 to launch into that. Now, the picture I have up here uh, is a picture of Jesus speaking with Nicodemus at night. We'll 
spend a lot more time on that next week because we will do a thorough reading and understanding of the John 3 narrative. You know, John 3.16, one of the most famous uh, verses in the whole Bible, but it will amaze you, uh, for you Christians, it will amaze how, how many people today living in the United States have never heard John 3.16. I witness to people a lot, and I'll share that verse. And over the years, I've had people say, boy, that's a, that's, those are some pretty words. Where'd you get that? You know, <laughs> for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That sounds strange to those of us that have known the Word forever, because that's one of the first verses we'll ever know. But we do not live in a biblically literate society anymore. We live in a biblically illiterate society. People just don't know the Word. And so, so the, the, but that very famous passage of Scripture has a context. Now, it's okay to quote it, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would have everlasting life because that is true and that's, that, that stands on its own. But there's a whole story around it. There's a context to it. Jesus is answering some very important questions asked by a very important man by the name of Nicodemus. We'll look at that next week, okay? Y'all going to be here next week? All right, good deal. We'll look at that. All right, but this morning, we'll, we, we, we will briefly look at John 3, but we're going to talk about John, uh, Acts 16 uh, quite a bit this morning. As we ask these questions, as we answer these questions, what does it mean? What are we talking about? What do we mean by the words saved and born again? Turn the page if you would. All right, as we get to Acts 16, here's the context. The context of Acts 16 is this. It is the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey with his entourage out of the church at Antioch. Paul is going to be in the region of Philippi, which is in the area of modern-day Greece. It's right about under that big red circle. Everybody see that? That's where Philippi would be. You know, there is a book in the New Testament called the book of Philippians. And so when Paul ministers in that area, we read about it in Acts 16, sometime later he would write the church at Philippi, and so the book of Philippians, and that's where the letter would go, back to those people he had ministered to there. But he's on his second big missionary journey. His first missionary journey, he's been all over the area of Turkey, Asia Minor. God has brought him back home. He's there at the church at Antioch with Barnabas, and they're explaining to the church all that's happened. And they're there for, Luke says, for quite some time. And then the second missionary journey begins, and they go out. One of the places they find themselves in is Philippi. Now, in Philippi, there Paul delivered a demoniac slave girl from a demon. Uh, and, and, and the thing is, he didn't just walk into town having deliverance services or healing services. He walked into town preaching Jesus. He went to the synagogues. He went into the market squares. He was helping people understand the gospel of salvation. And while he was doing it, the Bible says that they were dogged for several days by this woman who kept mocking them and mocking what was going on. And after several days of this, the Bible says, Paul understood. He, he, he knew that this woman had a demon in her. And so he speaks uh, uh, biblical, uh, powerful words and delivers her from that demon. And this woman who was a slave of some business owners, she had a demonic spirit of being able to speak the future, to tell the future, and or to fool people into that. So she was a fortune teller. And, and so when he delivered her from that demon, now she's in her right mind and she's this beautiful woman that's healed of this demonic influence and, and she's probably happy and you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, in the meantime, uh, her owners are downright furious with Paul for this. And they get a big crowd up, and they incite a crowd, and they drag Paul and Silas, his uh, missionary partner, in before the magistrates of the city, you know, the judges, the, uh, the police officers, drag them in. Well, they're sentenced or put in jail for a, for a while, and they're put down in the deepest, the Bible says, the deepest dungeon part of that jail and chained to the walls. And 
And they're beat first. They're flogged within an inch of their life. And then they're chained in this deep, damp, dark dungeon. And in the middle of the night, rather than being mad with God, now think about this. I mean, if that were you, and I, you know, I mean, you're doing what God told you to do. You went where he told you to go. You're just speaking the words of, of God. You've, you've delivered a young woman. You've brought her to Jesus. You've delivered her out of her demonic stronghold. And the next thing you know, you've been beat within an inch of your life, and you're chained to a wall in a dungeon in a, in a, in a Roman prison in Philippi. You might have some questions for God, do you think? Well, you know, the Bible says, and we're not going to read the whole narrative, but I pray that you will. The Bible says that Paul and Silas, rather than being angry at God, rather than being questioning God, do you know what they were doing in the middle of the night? They were singing praises and hymns to God and sharing their faith with one another. Probably other prisoners were hearing it. The jailer obviously heard because later on when something happens, he asked them, how can I have what you have? But the jailer hears all of this praise and worship and they're testifying to the glory of Jesus and, and they're witnessing to the other inmates. Uh, perhaps some of the other prisoners uh, made professions of faith as Paul and Silas are preaching and witnessing as they're chained to the wall and, and blood still dripping off their body from being beaten. But during the middle of that very night, the Bible says a tremendous earthquake hit. Now, an earthquake hitting Greece is not a miracle. <laughs> that happens a lot. But the fact that it hit when it hit and the results of it were that the jail was so decimated that the chains were loosened, the walls were torn apart, the chains were burst open, all of the prisoners could have escaped, but the Bible says that Paul stopped them. The jailer was getting ready to kill himself when it was all over. Why? Because under Roman law, if you were in charge of prisoners and they escaped, they would put you to death. And so all the prisoners were free. They were getting ready to leave. Paul stopped everything and he says, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Paul had to have a huge influence over those other prisoners at this time, don't you think? I mean, think about it. Let's say you weren't in Paul's entourage. Let's say that you were just a common thug. <laughs> and for some of us, that's not too hard to imagine. <laughs> Let's just say we were a common thug and we were in jail because we had robbed somebody or beat somebody or killed somebody. And here's this religious man, Paul, you know, when everything happens, the earthquake happens, my chains are gone, I've got a chance to run and to be free. But the Bible says, but none of them did. All of them did what Paul said to do. I mean, God was all over this. When the jailer saw all of that and saw that he didn't have to give or take his life and saw that Paul had a grip on the whole situation, even though he had been lied about, mistreated, beat, and chained to a wall, the jailer hits his knees and he says something to Paul. Let's read about this. Turn the page if you would. Beginning with verse 29 of Acts 16. Hopefully you can follow along there in your Bible. The jailer called for the lights. He, and by the way, that, that didn't mean flip the switches. Okay? I meant bring in the torches and stuff. Okay? Called for the lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And that's because he was, you know, they, he thought they were all gone. Paul says, no, we're all here. He then brought them out, brought Paul and Silas out, out and asked, Sirs, now all of a sudden he's treating them with respect. <laughs> what must I do to be saved? I've got that word underlined. So you will see if you're new to the word, if you're new to this understanding of saved and salvation and born again, these are not words that Baptists invented. These are not words that preachers invented. 
These are not words that evangelists invented. These are not words that religious nuts invented. These are not words that, that Christians invented. These are biblical words. People understood them in the first century. They used these words. Jesus used the word. Paul used the word. What must I do to be saved? They replied, that is, Paul and, and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And what that implies is your household can be saved too if they will believe. Anybody who believes, you, your children, your wife, not just you, your whole family. <clears throat> you can all be saved if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will speak about that word believe. You see, I have it underlined. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Now at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now don't let the word immediately throw you. Just sometime that night maybe even the next morning, but just, just within the context of all of that happening. Obviously, they heard the word of the Lord. Obviously, they were saved, and we'll talk about what that means. Obviously, they made a commitment of their life to Jesus Christ, and obviously, they desired to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We'll talk about what that means in a moment as well. The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family came to believe in God is the implication. Does everybody see that? Isn't that cool? Now, I just want to point out, I have it underlined, he'd come to believe in God. I just wanted to point out, in case people try to tell you, and there are cult groups out there that will say, you know, Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, and the Bible never claims Jesus is God. What was Paul's answer about how to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus. What, was the, what does verse 24 say? Uh, 34, he says he was so happy because he came to believe in, in God. You see, the Scripture continually equates Jesus with God and God with Jesus. There's just, in the mind of the first century Christian, that, that was not something you argued. <laughs> they knew who Jesus was. God with us, okay? So don't let anybody fool you from this, you know, uh, and try to tell you that the Scriptures do not declare that Jesus is God or was God or is God. The Scriptures continually declare that. Okay, but now, let's go back up to the basics here. So, so. All right, then they brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? All right, so what do we mean by that word? Now, hang on, we're going to talk about born again because they mean the same thing. The word born again, though, takes you just a little deeper into the spiritual understanding of it, but they are the same thing. What must I do to be saved? Now, what did the jailer mean? Obviously, he didn't mean his physical life at that moment to be saved because that had been taken care of. <laughs> he was going to kill himself. Paul said, stop, don't do that. You don't have to do that. We're all here. None of us are leaving. We're not going to, your, your life is not threatened. And the man was just overcome with that. Plus he'd been hearing the singing and the worshiping and the witnessing. Some of the other inmates probably had surrendered their life to Jesus. So he knew that there was some need of his salvation, but he just wasn't clear exactly how to be saved. So what does it mean to be saved? Well, from, from, from the whole biblical context, he, the word salvation really has, has several tentacles to it. It means to be saved from an eternity in hell. We'll talk about that in a moment. It means to be saved from the coming wrath of God if, if the rapture were to happen within the next few days, for example. If you weren't saved, the Bible says you'd be left behind. Alive with the rest of the world as God then pours out His wrath. But if you're saved, you'll be raptured out, pulled away, and you'll be saved from that coming wrath of God. If you want to know what the wrath is, go read the entire chapter of Revelation 16. You don't want to be here. 
Okay? But if the rapture doesn't happen for another thousand years, then we will all die a natural death. And the Bible says that in this life we get to make a choice. Are we going to serve God, love Him, follow Him, believe His Word, uh, apply His Word to our life or not? If we do and, and, and we call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are saved. And so we live for Him, and when we die, then we go to be with Him. Jesus told the thief on the cross when He called out to Him, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. That's all it took. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now listen to those words. Today, not tomorrow, not a thousand years from now. You, not a figment of you, not a ghost of you, <laughs> will be a state of being. He's alive. Another dimension of life, but just as alive as he is now. With me. Jesus would be with him. He would be where Jesus was. Jesus would be where he was. In paradise, a place, a real place. That's a huge statement, y'all. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's another understanding of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? It means we get to be with where Jesus is when we die. It means that if the rapture happens tomorrow, we'll be saved and spared from the coming wrath. We'll get to be where Jesus is. But even more importantly, at least in this time frame that we have, these 70 or 80 years that we might have of life, um, it means that God's presence is in our life and in our heart and in our spirit now. It means that we, our relationship with God has been restored. Why do we need it restored? Because the Bible tells us that we all have a sin nature. If you don't believe it, look at a two-year-old kid. You don't have to teach them how to lie. You have to teach them how to tell the truth. Am I right, parents? You don't have to teach them how to, how to be stingy. You have to teach them how to share. You don't have to teach them how to talk back. You have to teach them how to be polite. Am, am I right? What is this with this beautiful little angelic two-year-old that's got a demon in him? What is that? It's called the sin nature. We all have it. We're all born with it. And the Bible says nothing sinful like that will ever enter the presence of God. So we're lost. We're separated from God because of our sin nature. What do we do about it? God provided a way for us to be, watch, saved. He provided the salvation. What was it? He sent his son, Jesus, to pay for our sin. He suffered what we should have suffered. He died in our stead. He became the sacrificial lamb, if you will. And so what must I do then to be saved? What can I do to have God in my life now through Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus? How can I have that spirit and presence of God in my heart? How can this word begin to come alive to me, someone might ask? How, how can I know that if the rapture happens tomorrow, I won't be left behind, that, I, that I, will be, uh, I will be raptured out? How can I know that if I die today, uh, uh, that I'll be with the Lord forever? How can I be saved? There's the question. Now, does everyone understand what salvation means? It, it has with it two or three, four different meanings, but they all, they all go together like a hand in a glove. But, but it's, it's not just a ticket to heaven. You know, listen to me. Salvation is a ticket to heaven. <laughs> it is. But it's way more than just that. It, it, it is our life. It is a reconnection with the God that created us with. It's a, it's, it's a reestablishment with uh, the God who created us, a reestablishment of our relationship. It's, a, it's an assurance, a promise from God's Word that we have become His child in every sense of the word now. You might ask, well, aren't we all God's children? No. We're all God's creation. 
We become God's child when we say, Jesus, please save me. The Bible says then, then uh, to them he gave the right to become the children of God in John chapter 1, around verse 14, 15, 16, somewhere right in there. To those who call upon Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. So that's what salvation means, to become God's child, to, to, have, to have God put his hand over you through the blood of Jesus and say, you know what, you've got a sin nature, but because you've surrendered your life to my son, because you're under the blood, I don't even see it anymore. I don't even see it. It's as though your sin doesn't exist. Plus, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit because I know the rest of your earth life, you're going to struggle with your sin nature. You're going to be tempted, but I'm going to give you the power of my Holy Spirit now so now we can have a connection. Now when you pray, you're connecting with my throne. Now I can work in your life. Now I can put my power in your life. That's what salvation is. Plus, when you die, you'll be with me, God would say. And or if I, if I rapture the church, I will take you out with me. That's what salvation means. Can I hear an amen if you like the idea of salvation? Amen? Okay, now, now, if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you say, you, you know, you're understanding this for the first time, now you would ask what the jailer asked. Okay, now I understand what salvation is. Now, what must I do to be saved? The Scripture gives us the answer. Well, you must believe in the Lord Jesus, and then you'll be saved. You will be saved. Your family can be saved the same way because when you're saved, you're going to want your family to be saved, right? Now, now you say, well, can I make them be saved? No, no. You can share the truth with them and prayerfully God's Holy Spirit will speak to their heart and prayerfully they too will surrender to you, to the Lord like you did. But what does it mean to believe? I have that word underlined, believe. Because listen, folks, do, Satan believes in Jesus, amen? Satan believes the Bible is the Word of God. Amen, right? He, Satan believes Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. Satan saw it. He was there. Satan thought he did it. Satan believes that Jesus rose from the grave three days after the crucifixion. Why does he believe it? He saw it. It terrified him. It freaked him out. He then knew who Jesus was entirely. If he ever had any doubts, he now knew that he had messed up royally. He believes so obviously there has to be two kind of beliefs, right? At least two. I mean, there is a belief, I know something to be true. Does that save you? Not necessarily. It can be a big part of the beginning of your salvation experience. I mean, the Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts right now, and now in your head, through your heart, now you know what salvation means. Now you're knowing this to be true, okay? But don't say, okay, now I know some information, so I'm okay. I got my ticket to heaven. All right, let me out of this church. I'm fine. I know some information now. No, so far you're no better than Satan himself. So what does this mean? Let me give you an illustration. Now, this is not a perfect illustration. It's rather simple, but it, at least it, gives, it, it helps you understand. Let's pretend like everybody in here is terrified of flying. This will just make this uh, illustration uh, do well. There are many people in here who this illustration will do very well for, because you are terrified of flying. Uh, but let's just pretend like none of us in here would dare step on an airplane because we have a phobia. We're absolutely petrified. All right, so I take you down to the airport, and I'm going to try to kind of ease you in, break you into it and I get you out there and you're watching planes take off and, and I say to you listen and fill in your name do you believe this airplane that's getting do you believe that airplane will fly and can fly well you don't want to look like an idiot of course you believe it can fly 
And you say, well, yes, I believe it can fly. And I say to you, how, how do you, why do you believe this airplane can fly? And you say, well, look, they're taking off and landing, and I know how it all works, and I've seen it in planes fly all the time. And, and then I say, okay, then get on the airplane and fly to Atlanta. And you say, no. All right, now listen, you believe with your mind it can fly, but you are not willing to believe with your life that it can fly. Everybody understand that? Satan believes with his mind everything that every Christian says that they believe <laughs> about salvation. But he will not believe with his life. He will never submit. He will never bow his knee. He will never surrender. He wants to be God. He wants to be your God. He wants to control this awesome thing called planet Earth. And he will not bow his knee and say, Jesus, you're king of my life. So how are we saved? It truly is as simple, now I'm going to say as simple as, but may I say that it is deeply profound and so spiritually deep, none of us understands it in its depths. But it is so simple as to right now, sometime this morning, from your heart and in your prayer saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are God in the flesh. I believe that you, are, you died for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave to prove that you are the one that can give life. I believe there's a coming heaven and or hell. I believe there's a coming rapture and wrath. I believe that you can save me. I believe that you can come into my life. And more than just believing all that, Lord, I'm willing to allow you to do it. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Please save me. You know what Romans 10, 13 says? For whosoever believes, I'm going to add these words like that, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be saved. Shall be. God doesn't have to think about it. He's not going to go write up a contract and get back with you later on it. The contract's already been signed in the blood of His Son. It's a done deal. That's why Jesus cried out on Calvary's cross, it is finished. Not his life. He would rise from the grave three days later. But the contract, the covenant, the agreement, the salvation deal had been signed, sealed, and delivered by Jesus Christ. It was done. What is salvation? It's all those things I've said. How can I be saved? Believe with your life. Say with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Proclaim with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, please save me. And according to God's word, at that moment, God's Holy Spirit comes into your heart, into your life. He connects with you, you connect with Him, and you become His child. Y'all give Jesus a hand of praise for that truth, that great truth. Because those of us here this morning that claim to be Christians, none of us could be sitting in here this morning and say, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm born again, if it weren't for that awesome, simple truth. But that truth is simple, but it is so profound, so profoundly deep. Many other questions follow it. Why would God even do that for me? Because He loves me. You know, how can He love me? Look what I've done. Because He wants to. <laughs> I mean, He provided my salvation. Yes. <laughs> and He made opportunity for the salvation of anybody who believes. Yes. That's unbelievable. Yes. But it's true. I mean, I can have peace. In my, I mean, I can know, I can get on with life now because I know that my eternity is secured. Yes. Can I ever lose that security? Not if you're born again. Now, if you're a religious churchy person, <laughs> you might not even be saved in the first place. You may have doubts all your life. But if you're born again and you have said, Jesus, please save me. Come into my life. I will serve you with my life. Then you can never lose that. Isn't that an awesome thing? Now watch. 
He says that that hour of the night, jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. A lot of people say, do I have to be baptized to be saved? No, baptism doesn't save you, but it is the thing that follows. It's like when I get at this wedding altar and, and I'm marrying my wife 35 years ago and we're saying all the I do's in front of everybody and making all the promises and commitments and then comes the ring. And the preacher gives, me, gives her the ring to put on my finger and I say, you know what, I'd rather not wear the ring because I don't want anybody to know we're married. Reckon what would have happened at that ceremony. <laughs> now, now, does the ring make me married? No, I could take this ring and throw it away right now. What's going to happen to me? Miss Pamela, whoop me. <laughs> All right? But I'm still married to her, right? Ask her, she'll tell you, right? So, so the ring doesn't make me married or unmarried. If before we got married, I went and got a ring and put it on, walked around town with a ring on, did that make me married? No. But at the ceremony, with the I do's and the I promises, putting the ring on, wearing it from that point forward, it symbolized to the world that I meant what I said. It was a physical thing that I did to seal that spiritual moment, that spiritual union of my heart to hers. 35 years later, she still wears my ring. I still wear her ring, and it proclaims to the world, I belong to her, she belongs to me, and we belong to no other. That's what baptism is. I call it the wedding band of salvation. No, if you're a thief on the cross and you can't get baptized, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. If you're on a deserted island and you surrender your life to Jesus, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. However, you've got an ocean in front of you, why not baptize yourself? <laughs> you, you know, you understand what I'm saying? But baptism is not what saves you. But if in Milton, Florida, in Hickory Hammock Baptist Church, you say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Then let me tell you what you biblically ought to do. You ought to put the wedding band on soon and say, in front of this church family, I will follow the Lord in believer's baptism because I'm not ashamed to say that I have given my life to Jesus. One more quick thing, and then we're going to close. Turn the page. So in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Next week we'll get into this deeper. And Nicodemus asked him a bunch of questions, you know. We'll talk about this next week. But in reply, Jesus said, you know what, Nicodemus? I tell you the truth. No one, how many is no one? <laughs> no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God. Nobody's going to get to the Father unless you are born again. Jesus spoke those words. It's not Baptist words, not, not Christian words, not churchy words. You've seen the words now, saved and born again. There are many other instances of the use of the word saved especially. These are, these are biblical words, unless you're born again. What does it mean to be born again? Just simply put this morning, it simply means it's something spiritual that happens. Just like you were born the first time, you didn't have much to do with that. But you, you, your life was given to you. You came into this world. You were born of water through the womb of a woman. But the second birth, you do have everything to do with that. You can say yes or no. It's laid out before you. And when you say, Jesus, come into my life, then what happens is the Holy Spirit of God begins to come into you. He works in your life. The Word becomes alive. Your, your senses come alive to the things of God. Your heart becomes alive again. Your, your guilt is, is, is swayed. You, you know that you now are covered by the blood and something new has happened. It's like you've got a second chance. It's like you've been born all over again. Well, it is spiritually just like that. That's what Jesus meant when he said you must be born again. You say, well, I've joined the church, but you must be born again. Who's he talking to? Nicodemus. Who was Nicodemus? A religious leader of the people. 
He was in church every time the doors were open. He could recite the Ten Commandments backwards and forwards. He fasted. He prayed. And Jesus said to him, but you're still lost and you're going to hell, Nicodemus, unless you are, say it with me, born again. And Nicodemus would ask him in that time, well, how can I be born again? And then Jesus went on to talk about John 3, 16, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get into that next week. But the bottom line is you know how to be born again. I've explained it to you this morning. You know what salvation is. That's what born again is. But what does born again mean? It means being saved. What does saved means? It means being born again. What, what, what's the spiritual depth of, being, of, of the words born again? It means it's something that only God can do. We can't make ourselves born again. The only part we play in it is to respond in faith and say, Jesus, I believe. And I call upon you, birth me again. Give me another chance to do this. Save me, Jesus. I want to know I belong to you. And Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, say these words with me, shall be saved. And you could insert the word, shall be born again. Isn't that an awesome truth? Y'all give the Lord Jesus a hand, please.